I'm Christian Cheller. Welcome to my podcast, an enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Welcome, everybody. Just a short episode of Links this episode, uh, no interview. I'm trying to line up a few, taking a little bit of time to uh, to line those all up. So if you're listening and you are interested in being interviewed, then do let me know. I spent a lot of uh, late last year trying to filter out a lot of uh, PR plugged interviews, um, <laughs> which makes it take longer and harder, but you get hopefully uh, better quality ones that interest you, my dear listeners, more. But Anyway, so if you are interested in potentially coming on and know someone you'd like to have on, let me know. Um, Chris at ChristianChiller.com. I won't tell you to go to my website because the new one is, I keep saying this, so nearly ready. I've put the old one in just a holding page mode. So there's not much to see there apart from a box to join my mailing list. And you're probably already on it if you're listening to this. So it's not going to help you very much right now. But that's how you can find me or Christian on Twitter or Christian Chiller on Mastodon. The best way is to get hold of me. So let's begin. I'm going to start with computing history because there's a good amount of it uh, this this episode. First on the Internet Archive, which I've kind of been delving into a lot recently, thanks to uh, actually the video and blog post I recently wrote on uh, interactive fiction and finding that a lot of those books that I kind of wanted to to reference and, and uh, look back on are there in the in the Internet Archive, which is great, even though they're not even the Internet. And this is something similar. The Internet Archive uh, in the past couple of weeks published the calculator draw. <laughs> if anyone is old enough, and I'm just about old enough, to remember scientific calculators that you used to have to need at school. And I remember them because I think I had one, but I honestly don't remember using it. And I don't really remember how to use it. So it must have been very brief, the period of time I actually needed one. They were quite expensive. They were a lot of people's sort of early introduction to programming, I guess, in, in a, some way. And the Internet Archive has published a wonderful gallery of them. If anyone doesn't remember them, you can go and see what we used to have to put up with. But even better than that, all of them, I think, or at least most of them, have emulators as well. <laughs> so you could go in, fire up an old black and green LCD calculator and play around with it and see if you can remember how to use them as well. Um, so it's quite a wonderful trip down memory lane there. And in a similar vein, another trip down memory lane, this was on ZDNet, but reported in a few places from Liam Tung. The 1980s computer, or sorry, this 1980s computer was a huge leap forward and now you can download its source code, the Apple Lisa 40 years old. Wow. Its source code is on the Computer History Museum. Uh, there's been a few things coming to the Computer History Museum recently, actually. I heard what the last thing was. And, uh, well, it's the source code of, well, it's not an entire computer. What is it? It's it's the operating system, effectively, the, the GUI, um, the, the kernel, the core. I don't even know what they used to call it in those days. Um, but it was uh, it was an incredibly successful computer, one of the first, though it will seem very rudimentary now, um, one of the, the first computers with a graphical interface, obviously controversially sourced. And it's over on the CHM website. I, I'm not sure what it's written in um, and how you even get hold of it. There's uh, They have their own custom license. It is Apple, after all, the Apple Academic License Agreement. 
Lisa OS software version 3.1, not even the first version. You can't uh, redistribute it, not that you would necessarily want to. <laughs> I don't know. And you have to fill in a form to download everything. You get a zip file, basically. I'm definitely going to download that. I don't really know what I can then do with it. Probably not a great deal, but it'd be fascinating to look at. And I think there's some, this is in a time when Apple's employees were a little bit more um, mm, rebellious. This was the, the general trend of the industry at the time than they probably are now. So some of the code comments are kind of fun. They might have been on some illicit substances whilst programming these at certain points. So I know a lot of people have had a lot of fun reading through those comments at the very least. <laughs> Even if you get nothing else out of it, just reading uh, comments from 1970s slash 1980s computer programmers is kind of entertaining in its own right. Now, I'm not going to focus too much on AI-related topics today because I've covered it quite a lot in uh, in recent episodes. But I will say that the new show I've been working on, um, In Bots We Trust, will be publishing its first episode on Monday. This is Monday the 7th, I do believe. And then the following one straight after that, the a week later. Um, we have two in the can. I want to record some more soon. But I'm putting them out quite close to each other because the first one had quite a few technical issues. So I kind of want to get the second one out as soon as possible, which is much, much better recorded. So just so there's a, you know, a, a good level of, of quality there. But we're already starting to see um, paywalls and formalization of these platforms coming into light. And the interesting one here is from Ingrid London or Lunden, I think, sorry, on TechCrunch, Shutterstock, uh, well, firstly, was kind of criticizing a lot of these projects and services and sort of made big, big, um, big statements about blocking them from its platform and then did its own deal with OpenAI and has now rolled out its own toolkit to create images based on text prompts. It's weird because it's a partnership, so I don't really know what they're adding that you can't do on the other platforms. I guess it integrates into their 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 uh, their subscriptions i guess maybe they have an exclusive right to call on other shutterstock images that kind of thing uh, and i guess you know prior to prior to um people using generative ai to create images you remember like two months ago uh i guess the main source that people got images from was these sort of uh, repositories of images and especially sometimes ripping them off and, and trying to get rid of the watermark and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot happening very, very quickly. And it's interesting to see. I think Adobe now has prototypes in place as well with Photoshop and things like that that I really want to try very soon. It's in their, their beta channel. So there's a lot of formalization around these platforms happening extremely quickly. Next, I mentioned my website is nearly ready and it's built on Astro, which I'm not 100% sure if it was the right decision, but I've, I've gone too far down the path now. And just in time for me to nearly be ready, everything had a spanner in the works by them releasing Astro 2.0, which included a bunch of features I was kind of looking for, especially content collections, which remind me a lot of the static site generators I was coming from. Astro is a web framework building content-focused websites. It's sort of more than a static site generator. And it uses uh, React and its own kind of custom thing that is very React-like. It uses Markdown and MDX, which is Markdown plus React. And a whole bunch of other things I was interested in digging into. 
and I, I get the impression it might have been overkill for my site and it's been it's taken me a lot longer to migrate than I hoped, but it's been an interesting learning experience. And some of the features they announced in 2.0 um, are quite interesting. And when I have finally finished, I'll put together something explaining how I put it all together. Because I've been through quite a journey, to be honest with you, but it's 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 nearly concluded and I'm getting increasingly pleased with what I am creating. Next, this is uh, from SE Island on Medium. This is actually from um, September last year. But, um, well, anyone who subscribes knows uh, I had a special announcement that I finished my debut novel and it's in the hand of beta readers who I need to follow up with. But I very much got to this point now. I'm not really sure what to do. I've gone through the work of creating a novel, um, which was a process in itself, but a, a kind of creative process that I, you know, I, I sort of understand what's needed to be done. And now people keep asking me, like, what are you going to do next? And I honestly don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Um, do I approach agent? Do I self-publish? Do I promote? Do I, what do I do? So I've been really reading around a lot of resources and, and finding that, you know, I'm definitely not the only person who thinks this. It's like, now what? <laughs> and in some respects, this process is harder because it's less in your control. Um, so I found reading a lot of posts like this quite encouraging to figure out my next steps and make a plan. And that's sort of what I'm going through over the next uh, week or so. And I will definitely summarize what I come up with uh, probably in the next one or two episodes because I'm, I'm still – I've got a lot of bookmarks open right now. <laughs> and, and I don't even know if they're going to be successful, of course. So, yeah, uh, I think that will be a journey I will document as I go. But I found this post quite useful to – to read through, to um, to figure out, yeah, what on earth do you do next after all that work? <laughs> you, you do more work, but yeah. <laughs> Specifically, what? And finally, from Scientific American uh, by Sarah Scholes, the search for extraterrestrial life as we don't know it. This I found interesting because... You know, there's always this human desire to look for extraterrestrial life, but we kind of have this tendency, and we see this in in um, in popular fiction and movies, etc., to try to look for life that is like us. And this has been singularly unsuccessful so far. So there's a growing group of scientists, and this article kind of goes into, who are proposing that well, maybe we should be looking for life in other ways too. Uh, and by being so kind of um, focused on particular types of life, we might have or we might miss actual life because we're not looking for that kind of life. <laughs> so the perspective on how to look for life has changed. And, uh, and it's changing because, of course, if you stop being singularly focused, you can go in so many different directions. How do you decide? How do you prioritize, et cetera, et cetera. So I found this really interesting. It's one of those strange things that seems so obvious when you read it but you realize it requires a lot of thinking and planning to actually get to that stage to formalize it and then process it, processize it, if that's a word, that kind of thing. So I found this really fascinating to, to understand now what extraterrestrial searching scientists are going to do. Um, and they'll probably keep looking for little gray creatures that look a bit like us as well, but uh, you get my point. That was my links for the week. In addition to the new show that I mentioned earlier, I recently published a video and blog post on alternative new browsers for macOS, which was, uh, well, you'll have to go and have a read or have a watch to, to see what I thought. Um, I'll put the links in the newsletter. 
And also the Storytelling Collective, who I have done a few things with, have their Flash Fiction February, which I have begun. I've written two stories already. You can find them on my Medium. And by the time you listen to this, there'll probably be some more because there's one a day. I actually provided the prompts, which is quite interesting. Maybe some of you have discovered my output through that. I don't know. Who knows? If so, welcome. I don't generally talk about story writing that much. Well, sometimes. And uh, so far, it's been fun. So you can also find those over on Medium. I think that's about it for now. As always, things are nearing completion. <laughs> Endlessly nearing completion, but never quite there. Uh, I will be in London and bits of the UK next week. If you are at the state of OpenCon, I will be there very briefly on Wednesday. I will not be at FOSTEM this year because I will be in London instead. Uh, and also looking further ahead, I'm going to be at KubeCon Europe in Amsterdam in April, if you want to get in touch there as well. But until then, um, keep an eye out on all the various outlets because my website is in maintenance. And I will see you next time. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter and find all of my writing, games, work and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind the scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.